Welcome to Rav Moshe and the Art of Psak. This is the second episode in our paradoxically titled series, The Varshalonitan Amer Klal, Things Which Cannot Be Said at All. Um, trace, chronologically tracing the use of that phrase in Agros Moshe. In our first episode, we discussed the Chuvah from 5683, a conversation between Rav Moshe and his uncle Rav Yaakov Kontrovitz while they are both still in Russia. Uh, audience warning that there uh, will be in this episode as well some discussions of uh, graphic sexual issues. Mekanshvitz um, took the position that um, the Gemara says that an Aishas Kohen Shenan saw that if you have a uh, the wife of a Kohen who was raped, um, so there's a Brisa that says that the husband is told not to believe her. Uh, the problem, of course, is that the wife knows the truth, so why is she allowed to uh, remain married to her husband? So Rekhanshvitz took, took the position that the prohibition on the wife applies only when there is an actual prohibition on the husband. So when the husband is told not to believe her, her knowledge is irrelevant to the prohibition because so long as his action is not prohibited, neither is hers. Rav Moshe said this is something that cannot be said at all. We showed that um, they were actually taking sides in an old Machlokas Machronim, uh, that Rabbi Kontrovitz had uh, excellent precedence for his position, even though it's not clear that either he or Rav Moshe had seen them, and we were left a little puzzled as to why Rav Moshe would use language that strong about a position that the, his, the, the intellectual tradition does not seem to have seen as utterly unreasonable. Uh, today we're doing um, a tshuva from 5684, this is Igris Moshe, Evan Ezra, Chelek, Aleph, Zion, and we're still in, uh, in Europe, and we're still... Uh, we have the same characters, Rav Moshe and uh, his uncle Rabbi Kontrovitz. What changes is that in this tshuva, it is Rabbi Kontrovitz who says that Rav Moshe's statement is Lonitan uh, Le'amir Klal. So let's dive into it. Um, the part that's relevant to us, we're going to start by uh, beginning, the very beginning of the tshuva. So you, the Kontrovitz, wrote about me that I had claimed, based on the Sugiya on Chagigadaf Yudalad, uh, that the case of a woman who becomes pregnant as a result of immersing in water uh, into which a male had previously ejaculated. So Rabbi Kontrovitz said, Rabbi Moshe reports that Rabbi Kontrovitz, we don't have Rabbi Kontrovitz's uh, side of the conversation, but Rabbi Moshe reports that Rabbi Kontrovitz accused him of saying that this was a frequent thing, a frequent occurrence. And Ramosha says, You didn't actually read what I wrote. Because, of course, that's not common, and uh, I wrote it explicitly. Now, what's going on is that there is a sugya, a very odd sugya. Uh, this is after the four enter pardes. So, one of the questions, a question was asked to Benzoma that if a basula, meaning a woman with an intact hymen, uh, becomes pregnant, um, can she marry? Right? Can she marry a kohen gadol? Right? Is a kohen gadol allowed to marry a woman who is physically a basula, even if she's gone through a pregnancy? Now, there may be you know, subtexts in this sugya which have nothing to do with halacha. Uh, plainly, any time you have a sugya that deals with a virgin who gives birth, uh, there's at least a suspicion that you're dealing with. Uh, some form of polemic about Christianity, but we're going to take it straight as um, Rav Moshe does. And this is, right, here's the way the Sugi sets it up. Should we be worried that while she has an intact hymen, 
She is not actually a virgin in the sense of not having had sex, because Shmuel reports that he that it was possible for him. Uh, right, is always a question. You know, why does uh, right, why how does Shmuel know this? All not our issue right now. Shmuel reports that he was capable and and the, that it was it was it's perfectly common for people to be capable of having uh, sex with a woman in such a way that might impregnate her without um, breaking the hymen. And the presumption of the sugi is that such a woman would not, in fact, be um, muterit to a kohen uh, gadol. Um, or do we say, no, the way she be, be, became pregnant is through an ambatya? And Ben Zoma answers, the Shmuel lo shkiach, the chayshin an shema be'ambatya ibra. Shmuel's case is not actually common. Uh, Shmuel could do this, but it wasn't a... Uh, it was it was it wasn't um, it wasn't common for everybody else. This Sagiang Subas raises issues with this. Uh, maybe it's culturally it's culturally dependent. Um, so Shmuel says right, you don't ha- you don't that the the concern. So the Gemara said the concern, or Benzoma said the concern for Shmuel is not a common concern. Rather, we uh, we are worried or we are concerned for the possibility of an ambatya. So if you read the Sagi you might think that. We have to replace one. Right? If that isn't shkiach, so we must be claiming the replacement is shkiach, right? So if the Gemara says that Shmuel isn't shkiach, it must be saying that Ambati, which we depend on instead, is is shkiach, or at least is more shkiach than Shmuel. But that's not necessarily the case at all, because it could be we have a presumption. Um, one we have a presumption one way, and even right. And what we we do is we're tola, right? We say so long as there is a possibility that she became pregnant. Uh, right, then we don't have to be concerned about Shmuel. It doesn't have to be a likely possibility. That's, I think, the Pasha Pshat and the Sugi and the way pretty much everyone I've seen read it, reads it. And so it sounds like uh, Rav Moshe is correct that Rav Kontrovitz did not read his article, his letter thoroughly. Um, and in fact, Rav Moshe says, I wrote this explicitly. And it's simple Pshat and the Sugi. Okay. So later in the Tshuva, um, Rav Moshe writes that Rav Kontrovitz accused him of not having looked at the realm of the beginning of uh, chapter 18 of Yisurabiyah. And in order to understand this, we have to understand what Rav Moshe said, and then we can try to understand why Rabbi Kantrovitz accused him of this and how Rav Moshe defends himself. So in Halachi Gimel of the Perek Yudchet of Yisurabiyah, the Ramam writes a whole list of, um, a secondary list of women, not the primary list of women, uh, about them included right he kends uh they make her into a zona meaning that she becomes a surah coin vim kohenet and if she's a bas coin psulomina truma so she becomes uh, invalid um to eat uh to eat truma. And similarly, if you have a woman who is in a yibam or chalitza situation, her husband died without children, and she, instead of doing, or before doing yibam or chalitza with the brother-in-law, she goes and has sex with somebody from the shuk, um, then as azona, then she becomes a zona, and the Raman doesn't add, v'im haisa kohenest truma. So Rav Moshe wants to say that that's because um, she, right, Rosha says that in fact that's the case. She is a zona who is not, who is still eligible to eat truma, 
And Rav Kantrowitz says, what are you talking about? If we take a look at the Ramam in the beginning of Perakich uh, Chavisaribia, we'll see that there's a machlokas between the Ramam and the Ravit. The Ravit says that the category Zona is based on one principle. Uh, if a woman has sex with a man who, if he tried to marry her, the kedu- it's not that just that the marriage is forbidden, but the marriage doesn't have any legal validity at all. It's not to- right, the Kedushin are not tofix. But the Ramam does not have a single principle. The Ramam says, uh, right? Or if, if she has sex with a man who is forbidden to marry her, he doesn't say, right, who marriage does not, um, who, right, whose marriage does not apply. So that suggests that the um, Ramam disagrees with the Ravid. Now, why does this matter to us? Because a Yavama Lashuk, there's a machloket whether Kedushin are tofes or not. Now, Ramosha's overall structure is going to require that the reason a uh, Yavama who sleeps with someone from Lashuk is a Zona is because the Ramam holds like the position of Rav that a Kedushin are not tofes on a Yavama. And Rekhanshavit says, how can you make the Rambam's position depend on the cl- on, on whether Kedushin are tofes or not, the Ram at the very beginning of the parak says that um, that the status of Zona has nothing to do with being tofes um, um, Kedushin or not. So Rav Moshe responds, I know the beginning of that parak very well, I even quoted it, and you missed the beauty of the uh, structure I built. So here's what Rav Moshe says. He says, I, there's the fundamental pasuk of Almanah, Zonah, Grishavach, Yikahu, that the Ramam agrees that forbids only women uh, who sleep with somebody who, with whom they not only would it be forbidden for them to have condition, but the condition would not be tofes at all. But Rav Moshe says, really, there are two psukim. One of them, which fundamentally deals with the isur to marry a kohen, with psul kuna, and the other one of which deals with the psul um, for truma. The one which deals with the psul for truma is an emor uvas kohen ishzar. So the question is, what's the relationship among those psukim? So Rav Moshe says that I understand the realm this way. The, fun, right, the first pasuk of, of where it uses the term zona actually re- requires lotafsi bakidushin. However, women who are invalidated by the second pasuk, which uh, are also included in the category of zona, Therefore, any woman who can't eat truma is a zona. But, Rav Moshe says, it doesn't follow that any woman who is a zona cannot eat, um, right, cannot eat truma. Because if you have a woman who is only invalidated by the first, right, by the, um, by the first pasuk of zona, which is lotafsi bakidushin, but the man with whom she has a relationship, even though they, um, even though the, the condition are in Tophes, nonetheless, uh, that man is not considered an Ishzar, um, so then she's still allowed to eat Truma. Now, what could, case could that be? Uh, Chirimashi says that there are, uh, the Gemara says that Kisiel Ishzar uh, requires Zar Me'ikara. It has to be somebody whom she was always forbidden, or she's intrinsically forbidden to marry, and that lets out two cases. One is Machazir Grushaso, a man who um, who right who who remarries a wife who's had a another uh, another marriage in between, 
and the other is according to the position that uh, so there's right here we have another case of a woman who um, right she has a relationship with a man whom uh, right who there is no possibility of kedushin, and yet the man is not an ishzar because um, it's not an intrinsic um, prohibition. So Rav Moshe says I think the uh, the correct outcome here is that this woman the uh, according to the Rambam right is very mediyak she's a zona because because we're holding like Rav, but he's not an Ishzar, and therefore she's allowed to, uh, she's allowed to eat Shuma. Uh, right, and then he says, you're gonna, right, if, if you refuse to believe in my, right, in my structure, if you refuse to believe that there is a category of a woman who is both called a Zona and nonetheless uh, allowed to eat Shuma, he says that doesn't make any sense, because there's a Tosfus um, in Yavamos. That says this explicitly according to the position of Rebbe Eliezer. Rebbe Eliezer holds that uh, you can become a uh, you become you become a zona and a surah even if there's no prohibition at all other than two unmarried uh, two unmarried pe- uh, people having um, having sex together. Nonetheless, the woman becomes a zona if she had any act of forbidden sex. And Tosu says explicitly, but even according to Rebbe Eliezer, uh, you're allowed to eat trumas. Rebbe Eliezer says I have proven to um, that there is a category amongst Rishonim of a woman who is considered a zona and nonetheless allowed to eat shuma. How can that be? It must be because my structure is fundamentally correct. And once we know that this structure is fundamentally correct, what's the problem with saying that's the case in the Rama? Okay, there are there are linguistic arguments you could make, right? Why does the Rama never mention the category of Latafsi Bakadushan explicitly? So the answer is you're supposed to figure it out. Okay. So Ramosha establishes his position as reasonable. Then he says, right, after he establishes the reasonableness of his position, he says, I am astonished at Yurei Kantrovitz, who said of my position, not only that I'm wrong in the Rambam, but you said the outcome that I assigned to the Rambam, that a woman can be considered a zona and nonetheless be allowed to eat shum in her father's house, that outcome, you said, is Loni Tanleha Merklal. Okay, so this is the second time in a row that we've seen a tshuva that says Loni Tanleha Merklal, and uh, the position is in fact perfectly sayable. What I want to suggest is that Rav Moshe actually picked the phrase up from Rabbi Kantrovitz. Right, we see here that Rabbi Kantrovitz said this about him, so now we discover the previous discussion that Rabbi Moshe had said, uh, said about Rabbi Kantrovitz, but this is a long conversation with many uh, elements to it, and we, the, even though the first use I found of the phrase Negris Moshe is in that Shuvah 5683, it's possible that they use it to each other all the time, and you can see they used it as, uh, you know, as people who learn together, and sometimes... Uh, Use some you know, hyperbole about the other person's uh, position. Uh, so that's right. That's the thesis I'm going to set out. That Ramosha first uses the phrase in the context of this dialogue with an uncle, who himself used the phrase, and Ramosha got it from him. So the question we're going to be exploring in uh, in um, in future episodes is to see whether Ramosha develops a different, narrower sense of the term, uh, either uh, re- over time replacing the sort of loose use of the term in the conversation with Kantrovitz or developing another use of it uh, alongside. So please stay tuned and thank you for listening.